this week on Hope for the Broken. I wish I could tell you that there was something that you could do to shield your family, to shield yourself, to shield your friends from spiritual attack, but I'm telling you, you can't. There's an enemy. The, the thing that we must do is to know it, but to stand firm against it, to resist the devil, knowing that he then must flee, that he is no match for who is within us, and God does not leave us defenseless. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we conclude our series called Made New. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part 10, titled, A New Battle. Today we are ending, putting a bow on our teaching series that we've entitled Made New as we've studied through the New Testament book of Ephesians. So we're coming to chapter 6 of Ephesians, uh, verses 10 through 24. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn there with me as we study the end here. Now, some of you that have been following along, you'd say, wait a minute, we didn't get through chapter 5, or we're skipping the first part of chapter 6. What's the deal here? Uh, Last week, I had made an announcement that on the 20th of August, we are going to be launching a new teaching series that I'm calling A Biblical Family in a modern world. And we're going to talk about marriage and we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about raising kids and we're going to talk about influence that we have and, and the way in which the, the, the Bible speaks to the way the family is to be organized and function. And much of that teaching is rooted in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. So we're going to come back to that and essentially then cover the entirety of the book as we look into that, that series. And so I'm excited about that. I hope that you invite your friends uh, and your family members to be a part of, of that sermon series that will launch on the 20th. Next Sunday will kind of be a big Sunday in the life of our church. It is Promotion Sunday. So those kids that are moving into new ministry areas, new grade levels, they'll go to their new ministry areas, the new grade levels, and it will be a great day. Our staff has a great day planned for those kiddos uh, for that. But it will also be what we're calling Vision Sunday. I am really excited about where we are headed as a church this coming fall. And so I want to tell you all about it and ways that you can get plugged in and be a part of that. And uh, and really, as we seek to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ, a lot of exciting things happening this fall. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday and hear all about that. But today, we're going to talk about a new battle. We are made new in Christ. That's what Ephesians is all about. And in Christ, we have a new battle, a spiritual kind of battle. It was on April the 18th, 1775, when over 700 British soldiers landed in Boston. The mission was a surprise attack on the colonies to rid them of organizing militia and to squelch any ideal of our founding patriots. And their strategy was to cross the Charles River in the dark of night and attack the towns of Concord and Lexington when they least expected it. But as they made their way 
in the middle of the night, everyone asleep, a man by the name of Paul Revere notices the incoming attack. He mounts a horse and begins riding through the fledgling colonies announcing a very important announcement. You guys remember what he's saying? Yeah, dig deep here. Fifth grade, right? The British are coming. The British are coming. And he alerts these colonies to an impending reality. It was an announcement alerting people that there is an attack. The enemy has landed. The enemy is on his way. And the enemy is ready for battle. And it was this announcement that ultimately paved the, paved the way for our founding fathers to not be surprised and attacked, but to be ready and ultimately to gain victory. And what we now enjoy is, is the start of a very great nation. Well, here in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul is doing much the same thing. He is warning us of a coming enemy. He is warning us of a mounting attack. It's not the British. It is a much more formidable foe. He is wanting believers in Ephesus and believers all over the world to know and to be ready. Because the reality is that our enemy is already working among us. So this morning we're going to look at this powerful text in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be urged to know the attack. To know the armor and to know our army. That will be our outline here this morning. So let's begin by looking at Paul's urging us to know the attack. First thing Paul is going to say is that we need to know that we have an enemy. And we need to know that the enemy is attacking us. Look at verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. You follow along in your copy of God's word. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul is saying, you've got to be aware, beloved. Believer, you need to be aware. You need to know. If you are going to have victory in this spiritual battle, you need to know that you are engaged in a battle. You know, the Bible often refers to spiritual battle. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. In other words, be alert. Well, why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The bottom line is that you and I, we have an adversary, a devil. And this adversary is seeking to devour us, to destroy us. Now, obviously, Paul believed in an unseen, invisible, uh, spiritual war. And in his writings, he, he talks about fighting the good fight. He talks about tearing down spiritual strongholds. And he talks about that peace with God is not something that we achieve apart from a relationship with, with Jesus. And here in Ephesians 6, Paul addresses spiritual warfare head on. 
But not only did Paul believe in an unseen realm, Jesus often engaged the unseen spiritual realm. Remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is actually tempted by Satan himself in what is the showdown in the wilderness. Later on, Jesus cast out demons, and Jesus often taught about the realities of heaven and hell. That's the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? The Old Testament is full of spiritual battle. One of my favorite stories is when Elisha prayed that his servant would have eyes opened to be able to see the spiritual realm around them. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? But Elisha said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open the servant's eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, because this has been the case ever since the beginning of time, It's the case for us today, even now. I believe that if God were to give us spiritual eyes, even in this very room, we'd be blown away by the spiritual warfare surrounding us. And Paul wants us to know, you've got to know that you are engaged in a great battle. My point is, is that the spiritual battle is real. It's not make-believe. And Paul wants us to know it. Another thing that we learn in this passage of Scripture, these three verses, is that we need to know what we're up against. We need to know who the real enemy is. Paul, in verse 11, identifies him as the devil. This is the Greek word diabolos. Literally translated means slanderer, the false accuser. You know, this is an accurate name for our enemy, for Satan. Because it is his desire to sever our relationship with God, to move us away from God, to to paralyze us in our Christian walk. And he does this by unjustly criticizing and and accusing us. Paul not only alerts us to the attack, he not only tells us who our enemy is, he teaches us that there is an actual strategy involved in this spiritual battle. Also in verse 11, we're told to stand against the devil's, quote, schemes. That word schemes is the Greek word methodeia. It's where we get the word method. In other words, there is a method of operation of our great enemy. There is a strategy by which he operates. And so this spiritual battle is a very real, formidable battle. And so after alerting us and pointing out the enemy, he reminds us of where this battle is actually fought. Verse 12, this is important. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly places not being heaven, you see. It means in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. 
Paul clearly tells us that our enemy is not one another. You know, we often misidentify our enemy. One of the things that I love to tell couples that come to my office that are just in a, in a season of struggling in their marriage, and, and maybe there's some fighting going on in their marriage and some disagreement going on in their marriage, lack of communication, those kinds of things. I, I, I tell them, did you know that, that, that your spouse is not your enemy? It's not your spouse. It's the devil that would like to separate you and your spouse. Don't attack one another. Attack the real enemy. Because the real battle is not amongst each other. It's in the heavenlies. And we often misplace and misidentify where the attack is coming from. It's not our spouse. It's not our supervisor. It's not the person on the other side of the political aisle from you. Your enemy is the devil and his lesion of demons. In Mark 8, Jesus was talking about how he was going to the cross. And Peter, you got to love Peter. He's a speak first, think later kind of a guy. And he says, no, I'm not going to have it, Jesus. You're not going to go to the cross. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter in that moment? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not calling Peter Satan. He's calling out Satan. Because Jesus knows and understands my battle is not with Peter. My battle is with the real enemy, the devil. And so Jesus directs his battle in the appropriate way. We too must understand our battle. All this is pointing to the fact that Paul is saying, hey, listen, you got to know that there's an attack. you got to be ready. This is in the spiritual nature. Now let me tell you this. I believe that what Paul is getting at is this. While we are to know the battle, We're not to fear the battle. Because listen, on our side, much like Elisha, facing a very real enemy, he wasn't worried. Why? Because he knew who was on his side. He knew what was at his disposal. He knew how the story was going to end. Well, we too, we can have the same confidence. Author C.S. Lewis once said, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. You know, not everything is spiritual warfare. When you get up in the morning and you've got that limp and your knee is just giving you fits, that's not spiritual battle, that's you getting old. Right? But there is spiritual warfare. It is a very real reality, and it's something that we need to be aware exists. And Paul calls us to attention. He's calling his soldiers to be battle ready. And he says in verse 13, he says, Therefore, in light of the spiritual warfare's reality, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We are called, beloved, to the realization that there is a battle, but we are to stand firm. Now, I believe verse 13 ties back into verse 10. What is it that verse 10 says? Verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen, you have access to a strength that is outside of your own ability. You can withstand. You can have victory over spiritual warfare, not within your own strength, 
but by relying on the strength of the Lord and in his great might. And so we are to know the attack. Secondly, Paul wants us to know the armor. We're to know the armor. And while none of us are exempt from fighting this battle, uh, we do so with tools that God has given us. And did you know, I wish I could tell you that there was something that you could do to shield your family, to shield yourself, to shield your friends from spiritual attack, but I'm telling you, you can't. There's an enemy. The, the thing that we must do is to know it, but to stand firm against it, to resist the devil, knowing that he then must flee, that he is no match for who is within us, and God does not leave us defenseless. Paul says in multiple cases, put on the full armor of God, not a portion of it, not a couple of pieces. I need you to dress ready for battle by putting on the full armor of God. Now remember when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And so I think as he's trying to ready the people, the believers, the church for for spiritual battle, he's looking at this Roman soldier and he's saying, listen, God has given us tools and And how can I relate it to this illustration of this Roman soldier? And so a lot of the pieces he uses are pieces that were common uh, for Roman soldiers to to wear. Let's let's read these seven pieces of armor. I'm going to work through them quickly today, but let's read them first. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The first piece of armor that God gives us is the belt of truth. What does a belt do? It goes around your core, right? It allows you to to hold all things together. In the case of the soldier, his belt would be the apparatus by which he holds his weapons. It is also the piece that a Roman soldier would gird his loins, that, that he would take his tunic and be ready for battle by picking it up and tucking it into his belt. It's a central piece of armor, and it holds everything together. Paul equates this central piece to truth. A couple of thoughts on this this idea of the belt of truth. First, did you know truth is central to everyone? Everyone believes in a truth. And, And believer, if you are not girded, if you are not founded upon the truth, you will lose the battle every single time. But we all have to determine what is truth for us. Truth is where we gain perspective. Truth is where we hold on to what it is that we believe, and that translates into how we live our lives. For some people, their truth is an internal moral compass. Whatever feels right. It's encapsulated in the phrase of just follow your heart. The problem with that is that the Bible calls the heart very sick and easily deceived. 
But there are people that operate in that kind of truth. There are others that their truth follows whatever popular opinion says, whatever their friends or professors or their favorite celebrity thinks. Others just go along with whatever their political party says is true. And by golly, they're going to align to that. And yet for others, truth is found in the Bible, the Word of God. Whatever God says is their authority. Now listen, I want you to be uh, to, to know this about this passage. For Paul, there is no ambiguity as to where faith or, or truth is found. It's founded in the Word of God. Well, how can you say? I mean, Paul is using this term truth. Well, you know, we live in a society. What is truth? What is true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. So is that the kind of truth that Paul is talking about here? No. The word that he uses in the original language for truth is a word that means a divine truth revealed to man. Where do you find that? Where do you find a divine truth revealed to man? It's the Bible. It's the exact definition of what this book is. It's God revealing himself to us, to humanity. And therefore, for the believer, our source of truth is God's word. But I think there's something else at play here. Not only would it be founded upon that, but when it comes to truth in the scriptures, truth is not always a what. Sometimes it's a who. Remember in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. Truth is a person in that case, and that person is Jesus. And this makes sense because we are successful in the battle by relying upon the Lord and the strength of his might. How do we rely upon the Lord and the strength and his might? By placing our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the truth. So the second piece of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate covered vital organs, protected what was essential. And Paul equates the breastplate to righteousness. What is righteousness? It means to think and to live rightly. In other words, it's purity. Living rightly is what gives us victory in spiritual battle. It allows us to live above reproach. We are to bring our lives under the righteousness of Christ to conform to and apply his righteousness by living like Christ. We recognize the truth behind this, don't we? Parts of our body that is not protected are parts that are susceptible to attack. Our enemy knows our weaknesses. He's fully aware of the areas in your life and in mine that are exposed, that are not protected, that have not come under the armor of God. These are bad habits, lack of self-control, areas of pride, and even bad influences in our life. You know, I can honestly say that every time that I have fallen prey to the schemes of the devil, I have done so because there was an area in my life which was not brought under the Lordship of Christ. You're susceptible in that area. By the way, we all have weaknesses, which is why we need to rely upon His strength and His protection. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor is gospel shoes. 
A Roman soldier had to take care of his feet because there would be no standing firm in battle if your feet were not taken care of. And so he says to, to, be, to be careful with your feet, to, to make sure that your feet are healthy and protected. There's no marching onward without healthy feet. The battle shoes of that Roman soldiers would wear often had spikes on the bottom of them. This would give them an advantage. It would allow them to stand more secure than their opponents. But more than that, when the battle was pressing in, it gave them leverage to march forward. This is the case with the gospel shoes. I like how my translation translates this section of the the armor of God. It says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. One commentator I read this week said, readiness carries the idea that you understand God's purposes in the world and that you are ready to extend them by pushing back the darkness. A readiness to share the gospel truly is armor in a spiritual battle. Paul says elsewhere in, in, I believe it's Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Nothing pushes back the darkness in our life like the gospel. When we herald the gospel, we're heralding the good news of Jesus, and it pushes back the darkness. The fourth piece of armor is the shield of faith. A shield is something that protects from an incoming attack. In this case, Paul says that the shield of faith protects us from, quote, the flaming darts of the devil. In other words, incoming missiles from the pit of hell. And the main way Satan hurls flaming darts is in the lies that he speaks to us. Our faith, the strengthening of our faith, allows us to not believe the lies of the enemy, but rather hold on to who Jesus says we are. What are some examples of the flaming darts? Their thoughts like, well, you're no good. After what you did, do you really think God still loves you? You won't be able to make a difference. Why are you even begin? You'll never be a good parent. Your marriage is too far gone. You might as well quit. Flaming darts. And Paul says, put up the shield of faith. It'll extinguish those darts. How does faith extinguish those darts? Well, by faith we believe that God is faithful. And he'll forgive us of our sins if we confess to him. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You won't be able to make a difference, yeah, but God says that he knows the plans that he has for us, plans to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. The enemy will say, well, you'll never be a good parent. Your child is doomed. Yeah, but where I am weak, he is strong. See, the question is, is do you believe God's word? Because when you and I truly believe what God says about who we are, then the lies of the enemy are nothing but a flaming dart that is extinguished by our shield of faith. When your faith is fortified, those truths, you can extinguish the lies of the enemy. The fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation. Obviously, a helmet protects the head. What's in the head? 
the brain, what happens in the brain, our thought life, what we, what we think. Here's a truth that we must constantly remind ourselves. We do not fight for victory. We fight from it. We are already more than conquerors, Scripture says. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting in the victory that is already ours in Christ. So many of us lose the spiritual battle because in our minds we're already defeated and we're helpless. We've bought into the lives of the enemy, but the helmet of salvation reminds us of who we are and whose we are. The helmet says, well, that's your old identity, but behold, you are made new in Christ. Remember the first chapter of of Ephesians, Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He wants us to know our identity because the old is gone and the new has come. And the helmet of salvation is what makes that possible. I've got to move quickly. The sixth piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. The sword was a Roman soldier's offensive weapon. It was designed for hand-to-hand combat. And we're told by the Apostle Paul that our sword is the Word of God. Did you know that God's Word is a weapon against your enemy? It's the most powerful of weapons. You know, there's three ways in which such a weapon could be used. First, to make a preemptive strike. I'm going to strike the devil before he can even strike at me. The Christian life is not a call to a defensive position. We are on the offense. We are pushing back darkness. Jesus said of Peter's confession, he said what? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Well, what is a gate? A gate is not out on the offense. A gate is close in proximity. And so we are to charge the enemy. We are not to take a defensive position. We are to make a preemptive strike, and we do so by advancing the kingdom of God, by sharing the gospel everywhere we go. The second use of a weapon is in defense. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was minding her own business when the enemy slithered in to her life. And you remember the enemy's tactics? He lied. He twisted Scripture. Did God really say that you'll die if you eat of that fruit? And guess what? Eve had no defense. Fast forward to Jesus in the wilderness and the enemy comes slithering into Jesus who had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and who was weak and he tempted Jesus by twisting scriptures. Only Jesus was successful. How was Jesus successful? He quoted back the truth of God's word. He took the sword of God's word and he said, nuh-uh, let me tell you what the truth really is. So it's a preemptive strike. It is defensive in nature. But thirdly, the sword of the Spirit can be for healing. A sword cuts. A scalpel in the hand of a skilled surgeon brings healing. When we are skillful in utilizing the Word of God and and we are selective in how we use the Word of God, it can bring healing in our lives. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word often brings conviction, but conviction, beloved, always leads to healing in our lives. But with a great weapon comes a great responsibility. You know, members of our military are issued weapons. We have the most advanced weapons the world has ever seen. And with the use of force, our military has the ability to inflict damage. But did you know there's such a thing as friendly fire? When, when chaos ensues and, and, and when, when a weapon is misused, it can inflict pain and trauma in the result of friendly fire. Beloved, my urging to us would be to use the Word of God carefully. We can often wield it as, as a tool of destruction in people's lives instead of a tool of healing. Let's make sure that we're using it it's a tool of healing. The final piece of armor Paul mentions is praying in the Spirit. You know, many times people won't include this in the armor. They stop it with the sword. But perhaps praying is the greatest weapon that we have. And we need to utilize it. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Prayer is a part the armor of God. So we've talked about knowing the attack. We've talked about knowing the armor. Finally, Paul says that you need to know your army. Look at with me at verses 18 through 24. Let's begin with the second part of verse 18. He says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, praying for all your fellow brothers and sisters. And pray also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You know what the thing is that, bounce, that leaps off the page at me here in these verses? It's the community that which Paul is speaking. He asks us to pray for one another. Tychicus was sent for the purpose of encouraging the believers and Paul speaks peace and grace over us. Do you see community here? This is what I mean by you got to know that you're not battling alone. You and I don't go to battle alone, isolated. We do so in the presence of a great army. We were never designed to fight spiritual battles alone. I want you to follow my thinking for just a moment here. When you think about the armor of God, you know, you got the breastplate, you got the sword, you got the shield, you got the shoes. Those mainly protect the front of the body. But what about your back? 
What's got your back? It's the army of the Lord that's got your back. We don't fight alone. And in fact, we need one another. And let's just talk about the shield for a moment. The Roman shield was designed to interlock so that when the army of the Roman soldiers would interlock their shields, they would form a wall of protection. Beloved, I think so many times we're too busy attacking one another instead of attacking our real enemy. We must work for unity that we may stand firm together, that we may fight for one another, that we may protect one another, that we may watch out for one another. Yes, we face an enemy. Yes, he is a formidable foe, but we don't fight alone. We stand firm in the Lord's strength and we stand firm surrounded by fellow warriors in Christ. You look around this room. We're all in this together. We got to have each other's back. Sometimes when a brother or sister falls, we got to surround them with our shields and restore their health. I want to talk practically for just a moment. How do we do that practically? Well, I think the greatest way for us to have each other's backs is to be involved in and consistent in small group. That's really where your people pray for you. We've got a couple of members of our small group that are out of town right now and their parents' health is failing. And I mean, they've texted us and asked us to go to, to our knees on behalf of them. We get to do that. We get to surround one another in the context of our small group. If you're not connected in a small group, let me tell you something. You need a small group. The enemy would love to isolate you. Get connected in a small group. You say, well, well, how do I do that? You need to see Pastor Jeff. You say, well, there's not really a small group that kind of fits my demographic. Well, we'll start one. That's how much we believe in the necessity of small group in our life. Paul says that we are to know the attack, we're to know the armor, and we are to know our army. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.